0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: We all know that there's not much to take away from most preseason games, but tonight is the exception to the rule as we get a preseason matchup that has all the entry you could ever ask for because it involves legacy, it involves legends, and it involves quarterbacks. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. God, it feels good to be back in the chair. I'm admitting it. I've been out for a little bit. Jason Fitz filling in. Uh, I'm not filling in. I'm on my own show. But my God, filling in with me, Matt Jones hanging out. Like, Sarah and I will be back together. I know you, you, the I'm rumor sorry. mill constantly I'm works. Sorry. Sarah I mean, I and I like will be doing the show together.
2: Matt Jones is here. I mean, Sarah will be here soon. So don't worry. Like, just hold your breath here. It's going to be okay. I understand. By the way, that that intro song, is that always your intro? Because that's a funky song. Oh, yeah. I really like it. Well, I, and uh I, I didn't know if that's what your normal one was but i'm very impressed
1: yeah no we have the best uh, intro song on all of espn radio i, I think that that's a 100 percent fact we all know that and the straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless matt is that because I am coming back, and you don't know this. Uh, We worked together about a week and a half ago on another show, but uh, I'm coming back from vacation. So I've been out for a little bit, and Sarah's been holding it down, and now I come back, and it happens to be that I come back right after Sarah's birthday, and she's uh, she's partying like a rock star and uh, enjoying some birthday time. So, you know, we've been like two ships passing in the night where we haven't been on the show together. That's why I make sure everybody knows that, All's well, and we will kumbaya together. But for the next couple of days, you and I get to slow dance as we go through all of the uh, the hot topics for two hours a night every single night. So but it is fair. And, and I was wow, hoping to wasn't. get to slow dance.
2: That's what's <laughs> exciting. I, I saw on Twitter that she Sarah is actually in Louisville, which is where I am. I think she's at the soccer game down the street. So if she wants, if she's listening, she can just come to my house and do the show, and then we don't have to worry about it if that's what she's interested in.
1: 100% sure she's not listening but also 100% sure she would be <laughs> if she would approve of your gear you've posted this by the way you can find that on twitter at ky sports radio you you are head to toe in bears gear right now which i respect the heck out of is that because you know that that will win sarah over and this show constantly has a bears co-host or is that because you just are feeling the justin fields
2: Lifelong Bears fan. You know, when you grow up in Kentucky, you don't really have natural teams. So when I was a kid, the first game I remember, the Chicago Bears were playing the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football in 1985. They lost. It was, of course, the only game they lost all year. But uh, I decided that I liked them. And ever since then, been a Bears fan. And last weekend, I watched the first half of the game with Justin Fields and decided we were going to have to trade him. Because he was terrible. And then in the second half, he was so good, I decided he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And so I am repping for Justin Fields tonight. All of my Chicago Bears gear. For the first time in my lifetime, it feels like there is a great quarterback in Chicago. The potential. I mean, there's only one other time I even thought it was possible. And that was with Jay Cutler. And you know how that ended up. Now I feel like it's possible. And it makes me very excited.
1: You guys continually forget, though, that you had the coolest quarterback of all time, Jim McMahon. I'm well, he was saying, cool, uh, but
2: and he, and he was good. But since McMahon, it's been awful. I mean, it's just been one – I mean, I, would, I didn't do it, but people try to talk themselves into Cade McNown. They try to talk themselves into Mitch Trubisky. This is a guy with Justin Fields you don't have to talk yourself into. He's got all the tools, he's smart, and he's going to be a star, and it's nice to finally have a star on our side.
1: See, you've been living the misery that so many football fans live for generations of trying to find a quarterback. But some organizations don't know that misery or they've forgotten it. There's a whole generation – of Patriots fans that don't remember that that team was hot garbage for a long time. There's a whole generation that don't remember what old Foxborough looked like when they had no idea who their starting quarterback was going to be, and it was a one-win team, right? Like, there's this whole generation of Patriots fans that are used to greatness and stability at the toughest position in all of sports to find greatness and stability. And that's why I'm looking at this game tonight between the Patriots and the Eagles, the preseason game, Asking if there is some relevance to what we're going to see, because we all expect at some point Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback out of Alabama, not Matt Jones, my co-host tonight, is going to challenge for the job. But in the meantime, I'm looking at Cam Newton thinking, okay, there is some level of pressure on Belichick to get this figured out like the coaches are judged by wins and losses I know but wins and losses become a heck of a lot easier when you know what the hell you're doing at quarterback and I don't see any evidence right now that we can feel great about the quarterback position this year going in it takes a lot of benefit of the doubt and I'm not sure we can give that to the Patriots I think you're being a little harsh I mean first of all you
3: got
2: two really good options. I mean, last year you could make an argument they had zero really good options because Cam wasn't really healthy and they had nobody really behind him. Now they've got two really good options. I think you can either option one is you say, look, we are, if not a contender to win the Super Bowl, a contender for the playoffs. If Cam Newton plays well, we could get there. So you try a few games and you see, can Cam Newton play well and make you a playoff team? If that doesn't happen, then you know Mac Jones is our future, so this turns into a Mac Jones development year, and you get excited about that. I think Bill Belichick handled this the right way. Cam Newton, I don't think he has a lot left, but he might, and if he does, he can get you to the playoffs. I'm not sure there were any other quarterbacks out there that could have done that in this offseason. So I think it made sense to come back with him. And then Mac Jones, I have to tell you, I'm a little skeptical. I mean, I interviewed Mac Jones when he was in high school because he almost went to Kentucky. I know the kid, very smart. I'm not sure if he is an elite-level NFL quarterback, but he's going to have a chance to show himself either either this year or next year. So I think the Patriots actually have played it well. You can't hold it to the standard of Tom Brady, the greatest to ever play. You really can't even hold it to Drew Bledsoe, who took him to a Super Bowl. Like, those are tough standards for a young guy.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the day, you're giving a ton of benefit of the doubt. I don't know that I can do that. I mean, I'll go back to something that Field Yates tweeted a few months ago, after uh, after the Carson Wentz trade when he reminded us that no quarterbacks drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016 are still on the team that drafted them. So the presumption that Mac Jones is going to work, I, I don't feel great about that, and that's I don't feel pro- great that, about but, Cam Newton. But Field is right about that, but
2: that's in part because that might have been a historical desert for quarterbacks. And the reason is they basically – offense is completely changed in the mid 2010s. You went from one style of football to the other. And then there were all these quarterbacks that were asked to be completely different players and the elite ones could do it. Your Tom Brady's your Aaron Rodgers, but everybody else, they were like, why should I have this guy playing a style? This sort of sit in the pocket quarterback that doesn't really work anymore. Why should I have a mediocre one of those instead of a young, one of the new guys? So really it was more, it's like, complaining about farmers not being able to find jobs after the industrial revolution. Like it's just a different world all of a sudden. And those 2009 to 2016 quarterbacks were the losers of football as a whole changing.
1: Yeah, but at some point, you, you can also look at the up and down of what we've seen body of work lately, right? You know, I understand coach and system makes such a difference, but look at Baker Mayfield. After his rookie year, he was the second coming, right? After his second year, he was completely hot garbage. Now we've got Goldilocks. After his third year, maybe he was just right, but we still don't know whether he deserves a long-term contract. I mean, Jets fans were sold on Sam Darnold, and that isn't during that, that period. Well, there's always going to be failures, you know? though, Fitz. I mean, there's always going to be guys that
2: aren't good. I mean, there's five quarterbacks this year. Chances are very five rookies. Their chances are very high. Not every one of them is going to be good, but so you just have to decide if the one you picked is good. But what has happened is the rate of success for young quarterbacks quickly has increased exponentially. These guys are productive quicker, and most importantly, and I know you know this. The biggest thing is you get them on rookie deals, so you can put them around good players. That's why the last you know. These Super Bowl winners, they're coming, except unless you have Tom Brady, they're coming from teams that have rookie D.O. quarterbacks, and that's how you win.
1: That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. I just think there's going to be a lot of eyes on how all this plays out. Don't win games if you don't have a quarterback. In the meantime, we've got two men blaming other adults for their issues in one of the craziest things I've heard in a long time. You'll hear it, and we'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: The biggest brands in the NBA have had their share of differences, but now as they air the entire story, it feels like it's everybody else's fault that they weren't re- able to resolve them. The question is why Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio presented by progressive insurance. All of our ge- guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. I'm Jason Fitz sitting in with Matt Jones. Who's filling in for Sarah Spain. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Sarah's birthday was yesterday. Uh, and We'll get to this NBA beef in a second. But, uh, Matt, I think the world needs to know the story you were just telling me. No, uh, I can't tell that story. It, <laughs> that, can't that's, tell that like, story?
2: No. It's oh. a, I, I, normally I would have because it's a great story. But it's kind of mm-hmm. we, did, we discussed mm-hmm. the story off the air. And I just, I'm just i not allowed mm-hmm. to say it because I know some folks on the committee are listening. So we're just going to oh, have to okay. leave okay. that to everybody's okay. imagination.
1: I'm just saying that Matt's got some drama. Uh, you should tweet him at KY. Sports yes, Radio treat me, and, tweet me. Tweet uh, me at KY K- K- Sports
2: Radio, and if you seem really nice, I'll just
1: tell you about it privately. That is a that is a heck of a plug right there. All right, uh, see, we almost had beef, but we resolved it like two adults. It's amazing how two grown people can do that. Apparently, that's not something that Katie and Draymond have been po- uh, capable of doing. Uh, Draymond has launched a new show called Chips, and what I think we can all agree is that he did a brilliant job of promoting the launch of that new show by airing his grievances with Kevin Durant on that show by having the two of them sit down and have a frank discussion for the world to hear about their differences and their lack of ability to resolve them. This is a little bit of what they said in their discussion about how it got there and what went wrong.
0: It wasn't the argument it was the the way that everybody Steve Kerr act like it didn't happen Bob Myers and tried to just discipline you and think that that would put the mask over everything. I really felt like that was such a big situation for us as a group. The first time we went through something like that, we had to get that all out. I said, the only person that can make this right is me and Kay. And there's nothing that y'all can do, and y'all are going to this up. And in my opinion, they it up. I think so, too.
2: Yeah, okay, no, so let me just say, I, I, that really annoys me. And I like... I like Kevin Durant, Draymond Green's whatever. But th- 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 I don't, that sentence didn't make any sense. At the beginning, he goes, Steve Kerr acted like it didn't happen and just tried to move on. Okay. And then at the end, he said, but the only two people that could have worked this out were me and Kay, and they screwed it up. That doesn't make any sense. So you're mad at Steve Kerr for not getting in the middle of it. And then you say, well, only KD and I could have done it. You two are grown men, grown men who both in your 30s, I think now, both of whom have had unbelievable success, both of whom have made a lot of money. And you're telling me that you're going to blame two other people for you two not fixing your fight? You two are the one that fought. Steve Kerr doesn't need to come around like your 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 grandma and say, you two sit in a corner until you get this together like you're grown men. So the fact that you have the ability to sit and do this podcast now means you had the ability to fix it then. If you didn't do it, that's on the two of you. That's not on Steve Kerr. That's not on the GM. That's not on Barack Obama. That's not on Jimmy Carter. Like, that's not on anybody except you two, and they deserve the blame. I hate seeing them pass it to other people.
1: Well, and I'm going to layer on to another difficulty I have with this because it's not just that they passed it on to two other people. It passed it on to two other people they have access to that they chose not to invite on the show. Like, if you're going to tell me that this is the tell-all of how it got there, how they can fix it, what went wrong in the process of it all, if that's what you're going to do, and in that process, you're also going to slam for Draymond, your current head coach and GM, like, what are you doing? At some point, Golden State still pays Draymond a ton of money. If I'm Golden State, I'm looking at it saying, really? Like, your answer to how we got here and where this feud went and why the dynasty was broken apart – Is to blame the people that still write your checks? Like, there's just a real-world application of this. If I'm Golden State where I'm saying, you didn't give me a chance to defend myself, you've now created questions that I have to answer about this conflict and how it got here. And by the way, I still have to write you massive dollars while I go through this process that I didn't need to go through, all while you make me the bad guy for the end of an era for Golden State. Like, that's just... That would just But what tick is Draymond going to do? Is he
2: now going is he now going to look and say now I have beef with Steve Kerr and I'm going to blame, you know, Greg Popovich for not fixing it? Like when you have a problem, <laughs> it is you and that person's deal to fix it. Steve Kerr, I here's what I bet this is what Steve Kerr thought. Steve Kerr thought, you know what? These are two grown professionals. These are two men that have had a lot of success. I think these two will be able to work it out without me. And and then these two grown men look back and go, we need you, Steve. Please come fix it. I think that's just so lame, especially two or three years later. Like, it's been, it's been a while. You two have had some time to fix this. You don't think you could have fixed it before? I really like Kevin Durant as a player. I think he's the best player. Might be the best player in the world. He's certainly, for me, the most fun to watch. Draymond has gotten more out of less talent than maybe anyone in the NBA. So I have a lot of respect for both those guys. But on a personality standpoint, they both are odd. Kevin Durant is, you know, he's out there fighting with, with Twitter accounts that don't even have avatars. And Draymond Green is always in an argument with somebody about something. And I just feel like that this this feud and these comments are just symbolic of why these two guys always seem to be in the mix of
1: something weird. It's painting Fitz on ESPN Radio, Matt Jones, Jason Fitz. And, you know, I, I keep looking at it also thinking, why now? What's the point? You know, and and if anybody wants to say, well, they tried to put a mask on it and you know, tried to just brush it under the rug. I would also say that I know a lot of people that handle conflict that way. I mean, it's always weird and it's difficult. I lived a lot of my life on a tour bus, right? When you got 12 people living in one little tiny bunk area, sometimes you got issues with other guys. And more often than not, most of the guys that I knew that I had issues with, even if everybody knew there was an issue, you just sort of let it go. And but it if bam Perry had to a fight, fight. Jason. If you if you guys had a fight in the band Perry,
2: would you have blamed Rascal Flats for it not working out? You would have blamed each other, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, well, 100%. And you know, I can't imagine anybody ever stepping in and saying, "Hey guys, we need we need to have a a, a talk and we need to get this aired out." Like, if I need to air something out, you know, I'll never forget after one show I went to our drummer and I'm uh, I'm at times a very uh, harsh communicator. I'm the first to admit that. And so after a show that wasn't particularly good, I laid into him with a bunch of F-bombs and, you know, what are you doing and blah, 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 blah. And he didn't talk to me for three days. And We've known each other for 18, 20 years at that point. So I walked up and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? Like, just, just tell me what's going on. And he said, man, it just really hurt me the way you talk to me. Okay, we talked it out. That's fine. But I also know another guy in the band that we never talked out every time we had that same exact argument. So, like at some point, you got to be a grown ass man and handle communication the way you feel you need to for the people that are around you. I don't understand blaming anybody. I also don't understand waiting this many years to bring this back. Like, what 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 did this serve other than reigniting a conversation about Golden State? But don't and that you problem? feel though
2: that Draymond and Durant maybe more the, the only other one I can think of that's like this really is LeBron. They are walking around looking to be offended, like, constantly. Like, like some people see potential, be, like, people wanting to be rude, and they try to avoid it. Like, I'll give you an example. I did my radio show today at the restaurant at the KS Bar and Grill. This man was mad about something I said. He came in the restaurant, got a table, ordered a, a soda, and sat there and waited till the show was over. And then he just stood up and started yelling at me. Now... I decided rather than yell at the man who looks like Santa Claus who ordered nothing but a soda so he could come and scream at me, I'm going to exit the situation. I feel like Kevin Durant would have called him at his house and asked to talk about it more. Like it just feels like to me some people look for confrontation, some people look for offense, and these two guys are two of them. And I think that's why you end up with this situation and still talking about it years later.
1: Well, I also think maybe we're all getting played a little bit here by some people that were just looking for promotion for a new show because we've shown more about this new show than anybody could but possibly imagine. I don't even know where to find the show. Like sports. you say, like where am I going to watch this show? Is it on Apple TV? I mean,
2: I don't know. I'm never going to see this ever again.
1: <laughs> all right, coming up, we're going camping. This team's fortunes will depend on the health of their quarterback. We'll tell you about it next on ESPN
0: Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain
1: and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz, Matt Jones, sitting in for Sarah today. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and as you guys know, this is unique. Only this show does it. No other show in the history of ESPN Radio has ever taken you through all the training camps. Okay, maybe that's not true, but we do it different because we go camping this way. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada,
2: camp is very entertaining
0: Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz
1: Alright, we're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined with our buddy Mo Egger, you can listen to him on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati Mo, I miss you buddy, how you been, everything good? Where you been? I Man, it's, it's good to talk to you, what's going on? Hey, you know what? Uh, We're just going to do this on air for a second, Mo. Like, I I miss coming on with you. So, you know, if you want me this fall, you just hit me up, buddy. I'm all in to to, to talk football with you every week. So, uh, you know, I'm all in on my Joe Burrow love, but there's been some conversation about him feeling a little skittish. So, at this point, what's the overall level of confidence in the quarterback coming back from the injury?
4: If you take your cue from Joe Burrow and you're a Bengals fan, you should be pretty confident because he has said that whatever mental issues he had to clear, he's cleared. He wants to play in the preseason. Now he's not going to play tomorrow in all likelihood, uh, but I think you're going to see him probably next week against Miami, at least for a little while. Um, this was an issue early in camp. And, you know, if you, if you'd watch practice, you'd see a guy who clearly wasn't on the same page. It wasn't a physical issue. It wasn't like he was limping around. It wasn't like he, he looked like, you know, he was dealing with any sort of physical after effects, but by his own admission, I think there were just some things mentally that he had to clear. And I think he and the coaching staff have done a pretty good job of, of working really hard to put those things behind him. And and I don't think there's ever been any doubt that he was going to go week one, but if you were experiencing some hesitancy, uh, assuming that Job was going to play that first game against Minnesota, I, I think that's been put behind us, and and all systems are go at least from his standpoint for uh, the first game against Minnesota.
2: Mo, this is Matt Jones, and I uh, I, I like you too, even though I did, if Jason didn't introduce us together. We you're, you're, <laughs> you, you're he just acted like I wasn't here. He was like, hey, it's just I me and Mo. You with-
1: Top of the segment. That's the way yeah, it yeah, works, you man. You didn't mean it,
2: but Mo, I, listen. I, I know a little Bengals because I live down the road. But let's be honest. Most people listening here, if you if you ask them to talk about the Bengals, they probably still think AJ Green plays for it. Because this is a team that's hard to know much about besides Joe Burrow. So if I am sitting out there, a listener to this show, and I want to know a couple storylines about the Bengals going into this year that do not involve Joe Burrow what are the things I should be focusing on about a Bengals team that I actually think is going to be better?
4: All right. Well, if you want something that has almost nothing to do with Joe Burrow, you look on the defensive side of the ball because they got a bunch of guys who if, you're, if you don't follow the Bengals closely and you pop them on, let's say you watch that Thursday night game week four against Jacksonville, you're going to see a lot of guys that you go, oh, yeah, that guy? Okay, he's still in the league. Oh, that guy's with the Bengals now? Oh, he's still with the bench. There's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of those guys on defense. What does that add up to? I have no idea. They've they've turned over that side of the football drastically over the last couple of years, and they've they've said goodbye to guys like Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap, who have been mainstays, and so a whole lot of guys back there that are either failed former first round picks in the secondary or on the defensive line, like Trey Hendrickson, they brought in in free agency to replace Carl Lawson. Had a really good year last year with New Orleans, but it was his really only his, his one good season. They've they've brought in some guys that are probably better than the players they're replacing, but I don't know that collectively that's going to add up to a defense that's very good. I think the good news is if Joe Burrow is as good as they think, it's not like they're going to have to go out there and beat people you know, 10-6 or anything like that. I, I think, look, we're going to year three of Zach Taylor. He's won six games in two years. At some point, you've got to start winning football games, and – I think this is a huge year for him. Just They have to take a major step forward in the win column, I think, to to make people feel good about the guy that they hired. Uh, I've seen some things over the last two years that certainly speak well uh, when you're talking about Zach Taylor. I don't think the team has ever quit on him. Um, I think he did a pretty good job of getting Joe ready for week one despite not having a preseason. But at the end of the day, he's and one you got to win in this league. It's year three. We're not very patient anymore. And so – uh, you got to see a drastic increase in the win total, I think, to 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 have people feel comfortable about Zach Taylor. And look, you, you said, well, it, it has nothing to do with Joe Burrow. The reality is the biggest question mark for this team coming into the offseason was the offensive line. And there might not have been a team whose first round pick was more debated. We certainly spent three months on it here. Do they take Jamar Chase? Do they take Panay Sewell? If you take Jamar Chase you feel pretty good about the guy you're going to take in the second round to play on the offensive line. Well, the reality is the guy they took in the second round to start on the offensive line is currently third on the depth chart. Uh, I think they're going to be better at tackle, but is the interior of that offensive line, which is what got Joe Burrow hurt last year, is that significantly better? I think those are the three things uh, when we talk about 2021 that are, are are worth paying attention to most. But at the end of the day, if Joe Burrow plays like the the, the number one overall pick, and makes that huge second-year leap, those things matter less. If Joe Burrow doesn't do that, then those things matter a lot more, and chances are this team's not going to be that good.
1: We're talking to Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz sitting with Matt Jones. So, Mo, you just mentioned Jamar Chase. He opted out, obviously, before the draft. I always think this is interesting. Uh, What's his adjustment been like after a year where he wasn't playing football?
4: taken a while, uh, by his own admission, uh, you know the the early camp narrative was he can't get separation, which I think had had as much to do with the guys playing pretty well in the secondary as anything. but uh, over the last week or so, the practices have been better uh, by all accounts and i <clears throat> I wasn't there, but by all accounts, their first practice after their first preseason game was his best workout. Uh, the first uh, the first game he played, the, the preseason game, they, they worked him in early. They got him a catch. He broke it for 16 yards. Uh, admitted he thought the play should have gone to the house, but, you know, it was a little glimpse of what he can do. I think they feel like he's going to be fine. And, look, the, the reality is if there's one position group where they should be pretty good, it's a wide receiver. This is, you know, people have compared him to A.J. Green in 2011. Well, in 2011, if they weren't throwing the ball to A.J. Green, they weren't throwing the ball to anybody. This year, you know, Tyler Boyd is a really good number two wide receiver. T. Higgins, who you and I have talked about, had a very promising rookie year. You're just hoping that Jamar Chase can add an element that they lacked last year, which is explosiveness. And I think they feel like he can do that. Now, does he do it week one? Do they start throwing him bombs down the field against the Minnesota Vikings on September the 12th? You might not see that, but I I think over the course of the season – uh you'll you'll see a pretty good trio and if i would if i would add auden Tate to that mix a pretty good quartet of wide receivers that stands to be the strength of this team but all that other stuff may at the end of the day obscure the fact that they have a bunch of good wide receivers and you know we'll see where they go from there
2: we'll do this quickly about a minute left here mo got to ask you something i care about which is not the Bengals, but the reds are they going to make the playoffs a lot of people don't think they can but they're only game and a half back of the wild card two stupid losses to the cubs but are they going to get in they
4: are going to make the playoffs the schedule is too easy the last three the last 18 games they play the pittsburgh pirates nine times they're playing the miami marlins this weekend there's a whole lot of washington nationals and Chicago Cubs, and Miami Marlins, and a ton of Pittsburgh Pirates on the schedule. The team is relatively healthy. If the bullpen holds up, this team's going to be fine. And uh, they'll play the Dodgers in a one-game playoff.
2: If they, play any, if they pitch anybody but Michael Givens in the closer row, I'm firing David Bell. That's all I have to say about that. You and I are on
4: the
1: same page. You and I are on exactly the same page there. Do you two mind if I get back to football here? Good God, people, it's training camp. All right, Mo, one Dude, more. There's not many times play. you get
2: to talk to Reds on national radio, That's so fair. give us a break. That
1: <laughs> is fair. And that is fair. Uh, all right, we've been asking everybody to make a way too early prediction. Sarah has promised she's going to provide a glorious prize because I'm mm-hmm. not really trustworthy on that stuff uh, to whoever gets the closest. So what's your prediction for a final record for the Bengals?
4: I think they're going to go 7-10. and 10. That assumes Burrow plays 17 games. I think they will be better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I think just take a major step back. I know I get a lot of pushback when I say that. I think Burrow's going to be good enough. I think this team will score. I think their offensive line will be better, even if it's not great. And if all those things happen, and it's a bottom-of-the-middle-of-the-pack defense, I think that's good enough. The Vegas over-under is six and a half uh I think seven wins is is within
1: range. Any more than that, I think would be a stretch. So I'll go seven and ten. Love it, Mo. As always, appreciate you. Check him out on ESPN fifteen thirty in Cincinnati. Call me, buddy. I'm I'm ready to come back whenever you want me back. I appreciate your time, my friend. You'll hear from me. You'll hear from me. Woo! Don't call me. Let's go. That's the great Mo What you know what, Matt? Mo and I like we we have a special bond. you know, I I, it seems, I, I appreciate it it it. I think get very to ask special. him about the Reds. But. I hope we at least
2: have uh, you know, <laughs> Scott Van Pelt in case you two get in a fight to come in and break it up like Steve Kerr was no, like, supposed to.
1: Good Lord. All right, come, <laughs> coming up one head coach has changed his on a controversial issue we'll tell you about it next but first got to remind you espn radio presented by progressive insurance small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available progressive has you covered more at progressivecommercial.com
0: spain and fits the podcast
1: Spain and fits on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 jason Fitz hanging out with matt jones wow matt's in look, for look sarah at, look, happy look, belated look birthday they're going into yesterday. the tlc deep cuts go ahead I mean, I'll take that all day, all day, every day, by the way. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, we've always been driven uh, to talk about college football when Matt and I work together because we both love it. We both work a lot uh, in and around it. So I think there's a couple of interesting things that have stood out uh, in, in the college football landscape, one of which revolves around Washington State football coach Nick Rolovich. Now, anyone that listens to this uh, show may remember that we talked about on Spain and Fitz, Nick Rolovich, A while back when he at the time said he was passionate that he wasn't going to get vaccinated for COVID-19 and that it was a personal decision to make. Well, that has changed is now he said Thursday he intends to follow a new state mandate requiring COVID-19 vaccinations for all the all those working at the state's colleges and universities, including coaches. So uh, while he said it was a personal reason before, he said now, quote, I'm just going to follow his mandate not uh really shocked here because at some point money meets the road like you can you can sit there and say I'm not gonna do it but Matt when somebody says well if you can't do it then you can't make a paycheck suddenly you're like oh no I'm good I'm gonna
2: do it I don't know if you're a wrestling fan but uh many years ago there was a wise philosopher named the million dollar man Ted DiBiase and he had a saying (laughs) everybody has a price And that is exactly right. Everyone does have a price, including Washington State coach Rob Blagojevich or whatever his name is, that that he – it was going to be the case – that he was going to do this as soon as someone made him. And by the way, I think that's a lot of people across the world. I mean, we, we, we on, the, on the vaccine mandates, we see a lot of the people who are adamantly against it. But what I've found in my life is a lot of people who aren't doing the vaccines, it's not that they're adamantly against it. They don't just feel a reason to go do it, even though they should. I think this was a case of this man... Didn't feel like he had a reason to go do it until they said, oh, yeah, you want that paycheck, that big Pullman-Washington booster money? Well, then you're going to have to go do it. And so he did. So, you know, a lot of people like to take principled stances until it hurts their bottom line. And then all of a sudden the principled stance doesn't matter anymore and you go do it. I always thought his opposition was phony when he said it. I always thought he was just trying to look like, you know, some kind of principled person, and he's not. He's a guy who's doing a job, and he did what it took to have to do the job.
1: Yeah, Rolovich makes about three million dollars per year, according to a uh, quick Google search. So I'd say there's about three million dollars. Uh, three million. And that spins well he in Pullman. Uh, like you mind. Can-
2: you can buy a lot of stuff in Pullman, Washington. Like you could buy you can buy a Jason Fitz's house in Pullman, Washington with that kind of money. So like you Pullman, Washington
1: 3 million dollars is like 10 million dollars in New York City. You are not wrong about that. By the way, there's a reason that I uh, I live in hard hit New Britain, Connecticut, not West Hartford. Like I don't, I, you know, I don't have that Golic sort of cash nobody. Around, by the way, you know, nobody just, understands <laughs> that reference. Like,
2: like the moment you said that, you're,
1: you're a thousand percent right. Like
2: across the country, people are not like, oh, New Britain, poor guy. Like everybody just thinks everyone in Connecticut it's, has money. So you that you that reference, I don't think everybody followed.
1: You're probably right about that. You know, fair point. That's why you're the smart one. He's Matt Jones. I'm Jason Fitz at Spade and Fitz. That's not the only college football news uh, going on right now is Nebraska is in hot, 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 hot water. Scott Frost is being investigated. The school's being investigated for uh, using assistants and analysts they're not allowed to use and practices they weren't allowed to have. It is a whole rigmarole. And uh, Scott Frost, the head coach of Nebraska football, responded to the NCAA investigations by saying this.
0: I've never made one single phone call in regards to our schedule. Uh, That's not my job. Um, And
1: everything we did through COVID, I've addressed both those things a lot, uh, Parker. Everything we did through COVID
0: was with the best interest and health of our players in mind. And everything we did was uh, approved by athletic department administration and campus administration. You better hope that second thing is right. (laughs) Yeah, he better hope the second
2: thing is right because that's throwing the athletic department under the bus if that's not true. But, you know, here's the thing. The NCAA, all the teeth, all the fangs have been cut out of the NCAA, Jason. Like, they're not doing anything anymore. I knew that the NCAA as an institution that was going to, to really go after people, I knew that was nonsense when North Carolina basically had fake classes. Fake classes, gave fake diplomas, and didn't get punished. Baylor, all of the sexual assault issues there didn't get punished. If you think I believe that they're going to punish Nebraska over grad students running plays, it's not going to happen. I will note this, though, because I thought, I think it was Andy Staples that wrote this, I think. He wrote an article that said the NCAA now exists just to get colleges out of contracts they want to get out of. They go after these programs, and then if, if Scott Frost has a bad year, Nebraska can go, we can fire you for cause because we've got all these NCAA issues. I thought that was a brilliant point. Nebraska and Scott Frost have not been successful. They gave him extension when they shouldn't have, and this might be their excuse to get out of the contract.
1: Now, that's a fair point, you know, and part of this, I wonder how the NCAA will react because, again, part of the accusation is that they moved practices to off-site facilities during COVID, which was specifically not allowed, and that's going to be sensitive for everybody as they figure out how that moves forward, but Nebraska has to answer some bigger questions. I mean, I I know not a lot of people listening tonight are thinking, oh my God, how's Nebraska football going to be? But that's part of the point here. Like, Nebraska was one of the dominant programs and dominant brands in college football for a long time. Now, if you look at the Vegas over-unders, uh, you're expected to have higher win totals out of Indiana and Minnesota, uh, Illinois, or not Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, Northwestern. You can look across the board and say Nebraska has fallen. They're not just bad now. They're they're basically irrelevant. And Scott Frost was supposed to do something other than that. So, uh, I, I, you're right that maybe this is their get-out-of-jail-free card, but... If that if it is so, then you got to hope that there's no lingering punishment that interrupts their ability to build something, and then also you got to hope you can find somebody other than Scott Frost that wants to come in and can actually fix it. I don't know that it's that easy.
2: Nebraska football is never going to matter again. They're a bygone of a different era. They're a bygone of a time that there were only a handful of games on television. And the national TV networks had to have a handful of teams across the country to be regional superpowers. And basically, Nebraska was the Midwest team. Well, now... Every game's on television. There are no players in Nebraska except linemen, so they're always going to be terrible, and they can't accept that because they think it's the old days. They joined the Big Ten thinking that would help. All they did was lose their cultural identity in the process, and they stink. If you want to know how far they stink, their best player returning this year was going to be a kid named Wandale Robinson. He led the team in yards last year. He transferred at the end of the year because he thought he could have a better chance of winning at Kentucky, where Kentucky football is where he played. Nebraska football players believe there's a better chance of success at Kentucky football. Nebraska and their Cornhusker football program are irrelevant going forward, and I would say for a long time.
1: Well, and the unfortunate thing, you know, I, w- I went to Lincoln with Game Day a couple of years ago, and the, it's so – like, it's incredible. It's I mean, amazing. The, the vibe around it, the, the experience of being in that stadium, the way the city transforms itself for college football, it, it was one of the most amazing things but I Indiana saw the, of the year, But Indiana basketball's atmosphere
2: matter. is amazing, and they stink too. Atmosphere is not enough. You have to sustain a program. And the problem is Nebraska when, – when college football changed – and all and every game was on TV, Nebraska wasn't good, and they've never been able to recover, and I don't think they will.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing to keep an eye on because irrelevance is the thing that's hardest to dig yourself out of. You can be bad for a year or two, but when you become unimportant to the national landscape – That's something that uh, is almost impossible. Just uh, always look back at my childhood as a UNLV basketball fan. Like, where's that program now? Once you're irrelevant, impossible to dig your way out. All right, speaking of digging their way out, there are a bunch of baseball teams trying to dig their way out. There's a baseball team, I don't know, in Cincinnati that's trying to find their way into the playoffs. Yes, (laughs) that's right. We're going to break it all down. We'll get one of our favorite experts to join us now and talk all things Major League Baseball playoffs. Coming up next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80 presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline, Jason Fitz hanging out tonight with Matt Jones. Matt, so far, uh, scale of one to 10, your level of fun with me is a nine, nine and a half.
2: My level of fun is like 9.7. My level of fun with you is like 5.6, but overall still a very good night.
1: So, I'm a 9.7. That's all I heard out of that. It's perfect. Uh, You know, I'm a man. I don't listen. Come on now. Uh, We're going to keep getting into everything you need to know uh, about tonight's NFL preseason action. Obviously, some of the big NBA news that's come out today. But at the same time, we are in the thick of madness across Major League Baseball. So, we're going to get some insight on that. Major League Baseball analyst Will Murderbrooks on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Samsung Galaxy Get ready for the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G and Z Fold 3 5G. Pre-order now at samsung.com. I got to admit, they look incredibly cool. So go check them out. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline now. Will, appreciate you joining us. You can check out Will on CBS Sports HQ as an MLB analyst, former Major League Baseball player. I want to start with the Mets situation. Anytime you've got an owner that's going to Twitter to really call out their players, how does a locker room react to that?
3: Oh, man. You know what? <laughs> this is, this is a being blown and blown up into like a much bigger deal than it really is. The players don't care. Okay, it's they're gonna come out and say what they need to say publicly, but inside that clubhouse, they're laughing about it because he's the owner. That's not his job. He, he needs. They're all saying between themselves he needs to stay in his lane. I get it. He's a passionate guy. He cares. He wants him to be successful. It's his team. I get it. But they're not gonna just all of a sudden play better because you tweeted that they stink. <laughs> like, this this is an offense that's been in the bottom five all year in team offense. Their pitching's carried them. I get it. They played, had their spots with the offense has done all right, but it's just not a good offense. Your, your tweet, isn't going to change that. So it's like, it's going to do more negative than positive about I didn't like it.
2: The Yankees have had a really a great run, but then Zach Britton says to his manager, Hey, I, I don't think I should be pitching In the ninth is the closer anymore. On the one hand, I guess that's commendable. On the other hand, it seems like a little bit like not what a competitive player would do. As a player, you hear that and think what?
3: Uh, I do see both sides of it. I think my initial reaction was, yeah, that's not a good look. You're one of the leaders on that team. You're a leader of the bullpen. You make a lot of money to go out there and do your job. And at the end of the day, it's just that. You need to go out there and post and do your thing. Uh, but I do understand the other side of it. I don't know what he's dealing with physically. I don't know if this is a mental thing or a mental and physical mixture. Uh, I know he's been on the IL here and there this year as well. So that could be playing into it. Uh, but it is. I, 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 I know Zach Burton. I think this is him putting the team first. And But it's just a tough spot because Chapman was on the IL. So they needed him. And they're, they're having to rely on Chad Green and Luizica now who uh, they got the job done everything's going right for the Yankees right now they're playing against a Sox team that was struggling uh so at that time it, it worked out but it, <laughs> they're going to need him I mean this this last month these last 40 games they need him they're really going to lean on him in that bullpen uh Chapman's back now he still didn't look great last night he, he gave up a run of the uh, struggling offense with the, of the Red Sox but um, he's going to have to step up. He's going to have to figure it out. And uh, whether it's physical, mental, it, it doesn't matter. He's got he's to gotta do his job.
1: You're listening to Spain and Fitz. We're talking to former Major League Baseball player and current CBS Sports HQ Major League Baseball analyst, Will Middlebrooks. Will, I think it's contractual for us. We mentioned the Yankees. We have to mention the Red Sox. So what the heck is going on with Boston?
3: You know, th- that's my squad. Like, they drafted me. I have I, bias there. I still know a lot of people over there they're not dead they're they're just going through a tough time right now i mean they're struggling it just it sucks the timing is awful because the red because the the yankees are hot right now so it looks even worse but um their pitching has just let them down their bullpens really let them down i think their their starting pitching has overperformed this year I, this team was not built to win the division this team wasn't even built to go to the playoffs i think they they've overperformed they have a good offense they didn't have a good bullpen. They were hoping they strike gold with a couple guys. They did. Nick Pavetta in the starting rotation has done well. still throwing the ball well. Martin Perez has had some good starts, and now Chris Sale's back. That's a huge step as well. But it's like everything went bad at once, and and that's baseball. And, and as soon as you, just as quite as quick as you can get ice cold, you can get sizzling hot again. But for the Red Sox, can they come out of this? Yes, they can. But it's going to come down to leadership, not just the players but Alex Cora, there's a lot of respect for Alex Cora there and what he can do with his players and getting the most out of his guys and those veterans, Chris Sales, Andrew Bogart, all these guys that have been there before, It's just you just got to stay positive. Baseball is so negative. It's such a negative sport. You, you fail seven times out of ten, and you're good. So just stay positive. Keep playing ball. They got a chance. They have the sixth easiest remaining schedule uh, in baseball. So they have a chance. They're going to play some teams like Baltimore, uh, where they're going to have to take advantage. Those are the games you have to win because you are going to be pay- playing the Rays a lot uh, this, down this last stretch.
2: The other night, speaking of teams you got to take advantage of, you mentioned Baltimore. The Cubs actually beat the Reds and prevented what would have been a historic streak, which is two teams losing at least 13 games in a row at the same time. It would <laughs> have been the first time that happened since 1888. It would have been the Cubs yeah. and the Orioles. Throw in the Pirates and a couple other teams, and it feels like the worst of the league is worse than I can remember. I, I, there are six or seven just dreadful teams, maybe more than I remember. Do you feel like the bottom of the league is as bad as it's ever been?
3: It it sure seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, you you said it. I mean, that it is really bad, but what's crazy is – so I've been looking a lot into remaining schedules, strength of schedule. And, you know, I looked at the Reds and, and, and you know, like you're looking at them and, and they have a pretty you know, second easiest remaining schedule left, but it's still professional baseball. Bad teams can still beat you. Pittsburgh can still beat you. Baltimore, Miami, these teams can still beat you. We're seeing that. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's still professional baseball. The bottom of the barrel has been awful this year. Um, I don't know if that comes down to minor league systems. I don't know if it comes down to teams not wanting to spend money. I think that has more to do with it and trying to get good draft picks. Uh, it's a chess game for sure, and I'm not a front office executive for a reason, but, it, you know, it 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 all. It seems to me like there's definitely some tanking going on.
1: So, Will, who are you betting on right now that we're not paying enough attention to down the stretch?
3: Oh, that you're not paying oh – man. You know, I've been harping on the negative. That's what we like to talk about. I'm trying to think positive. I like the Blue Jays. I, they're, they're four and a half out right now, I think, of the second wild card. Um, I like them That's a lot, really I looking think. for you but to say I was, Cincinnati. I'm hits. sitting
2: here waiting for you to say the Reds. Like, why no, would not you like say Cincinnati. the Reds? They're a game and a half back. Well, I,
3: They've got great well, pitching, great hitting. Come guys. on, You were Reds. talking about Cincinnati already. I, well, I do like Cincinnati. Yeah, what, well, game and a half back, right? Of yes. Of uh, San Diego. The thing is, is they – they've been well they lost a couple in a row they've lost like six of their last 10 but so has everyone else so they're okay yes. you know uh and like i said they have a really easy schedule coming up i just worry about their pitching right i don't know if their pitching is going to hold up they're like 20th in team era their offense is going to hit but winkers hurt with the oblique or inter- intercostal whatever's going on there that's not ever a good thing with a with a power hitter uh, because if you come back too early, you end up pulling it again, and then you're out for six weeks. So that could be an issue. Uh, but I like that offense, and I like that ballpark as a hitter. I loved playing there. We called it the Great American Small Park, just because the ball absolutely <laughs> jumped out of that place. But I do like Cincinnati Reds. And you're right. We 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 as a as a general consensus, we don't talk about the Cincinnati Reds enough for some reason. Uh, but they are a sneaky good team. You're right. All right. Let me ask you a question
2: can- on that regard. Because Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray have both been not as good as they were last year, how does a pitcher just lose it for a year? Sometimes you see that happen, and you go, "Why? Why isn't he as good?" And let's say there's not a, an injury component—is is
3: it just mental? You're gonna make you're gonna make me say this, aren't you? You're gonna make me say it's gonna has has to do something with sticky substance, Uh You know, I was. A hitter. Oh, really? Is that you what know it I was is? a hitter, right? Well, I, I'm not saying. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody because I'm not in that clubhouse, and I don't know. And there's a ton of guys who weren't using – I mean, a majority of guys weren't using the spider tack stuff, like the really sticky, crazy sticky stuff. They were using sunscreen and rosin, which is sticky, but there is no hitter on this planet that has ever complained about that because it doesn't up your RPMs in your heater or your slider as much as uh, the crazy sticky spider tack, whatever, pelican grip, whatever you want to call it. So I think – We have seen a decrease in success in a lot of pitchers because they don't have that sunscreen and rosin, which I'm going to go on a limb and say like 90% of pitchers use sunscreen and rosin. It was totally legal. Nobody cared. It wasn't a big deal. No hitters ever complained about it. And you take that away, and I think that has had a lot to do with it. I mean, Cincinnati in the summer it's so humid, man. I mean, it's hard to get a grip on the ball when your hand's that sweaty.
1: You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Middlebrooks. Watch him on CBS Sports HQ. Will, as always, we appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you coming on and giving us your insight. Have a great night.
3: Hey, you too. Thanks for having me.
1: Middlebrooks reminding me that I'm basically a Major League Baseball pitcher because I know a lot about Rosin. I'm just saying, like, it's the same that thing. Was, you know? That was actually fascinating
2: by, by yeah, him, that, like, about him. Like, that's
1: it. what it is. I can, it's, it's the sticky. It's the sunscreen and rosin that seems like a weird combo. But, you know, trust me, I, I would have no idea. All right, speaking of no idea, I have no idea what the hell the Eagles are waiting for. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. In a few minutes, we'll continue our camp tour and get you more training camp updates. In the meantime, Jason Fitz hanging out with Matt Jones. Uh, there's only three preseason games this season. I think some people forgot that. We have less on the slate than usual. So it sort of ramps up the evaluation processes, which is why we have all eyes cr- right now on what's happening tonight between the Patriots and the Eagles, this is a big game because, frankly, both teams are trying to figure out what their quarterback position looks like. Now, Cam Newton, who I asked a lot of questions about at the top of the show, if you missed it, go check out the podcast, has started 8-9 and nine for 103 yards with the touchdown. I would say that is a raging start. So he seems to be off to exactly the start that you would want. The opposite is not true in Philly, though, as you've got Joe Flacco getting the start, not Jalen Hurts. Flacco starts 3-6. And uh, looks less than impressive or athletic with a snap that went over his head that resulted in a turnover at about the 10-yard line, which resulted directly in a touchdown. These have to be maddening moments for Eagles fans because they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Like, why is Jalen Hurts not the guy he started? Now, we understand that the preseason is always strange with snaps. But it hasn't been stated at this point that he's the guy. And Sal Pal, Sal Palantonio, ESPN NFL reporter, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin this morning and said this about the coaching staff not naming Jalen his starting quarterback.
3: Nick Sirianni, for some reason, Key, I don't understand it, has not publicly said or refuses to publicly pronounce that Jalen Hurts is the Eagles' starting quarterback. I don't get it. No one believes Sirianni, not the players, not the organization, not the fans. No Uh, To me, he's just perpetuating uh, this fiction. And to me, it only cuts into his own credibility. It's a misguided approach, in my opinion. And if you're asking me if there's any chance that Joe Flacco beats out a healthy Jalen Hurts, any chance, and I would say zero, period, full stop, next sentence, no way.
1: Now, Jalen, real quick, was ruled out just before the start of the game because of what the team described as an illness. That's why Flacco's in. But it doesn't change this point, Matt, as you look at Philly and say, what is the plan and why are they being so elusive with it?
2: First of all, Joe Flacco is wacko. He is not going to be the starter. He is <laughs> mediocre at best. He is now sort of like if you were to look up back back career backup for the rest of his career, you're gonna see Joe Flacco's picture in the dictionary, like that's him. So the idea that he could win the job, you might as well just say that your team's gonna stink. So they're gonna play Jalen Hurts. Now the bigger question is, <laughs> is Jalen Hurts good enough to take the Eagles where they want to go long term? And I think that still is to be determined. I mean, and I, and if I'm, I don't. I have to tell you, I don't trust Sirianni. I remember his opening press conference. I thought something like I I found him to be the weirdest human being I'd seen get introduced at anything. And so I've been skeptical, but if you're Sirianni, you, you've got to decide if you're going to be the the coach in in Philadelphia, you've got to have a quarterback and you need to decide if it's Jalen Hurts. So this is the year, like, what else are you doing this year? Because if it's not him, then you've got to go draft one next year. So you have got to find out if it's him, Playing Joe Flacco is just a waste of time. It's not gonna. It's not gonna make Jalen Hurts better. It's not gonna win you any games. You're not gonna go to the Super Bowl. So to play anyone but Jalen Hurts does nothing for your team this season or long term. So that's why I agree with my good friend Sal Pal that Jalen Hurts will end up uh, the quarterback.
1: Well, and you mentioned the draft, and uh, you know I think there's a fair question to ask there because, remember, the Eagles were in prime position to address the quarterback situation this year if they wanted to. They had a high draft pick. They didn't address the quarterback position. Now, uh, obviously, they felt comfortable enough with what they had to decide instead to go out and get a weapon and try and make the existing room better by getting them more people to throw to. And I understand the logic behind it, but we're going to be scratching our heads for a long time if it turns out that they passed on a quarterback and they don't believe they have somebody in the room. I have no problem if you're going to turn around and say, hey, we believed in Jalen Hurts and we were wrong. I have a less of a problem with that than saying we believed in Jalen Hurts and he couldn't even get on the field. like That seems like a really bad job of analysis from a new coaching staff. Now, I understand that a staff has to be very quick to make these decisions when they get the job because of the timing of the draft, but realistically, they needed to go in and talk to people inside the building and feel like Jalen Hurts was the guy if they weren't going to address the quarterback position in April with the draft, especially with the quarterbacks that were considered to be so hot coming into this year's draft. So, like, to me, it's just common sense. Jalen Hurts has to be the starter because they didn't address it in any other realistic way.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. It would be coaching malpractice to not draft a quarterback and then not start Jalen Hurts because there's no – if Jalen Hurts was not on the roster and you only had Flacco, then you definitely would have drafted a quarterback, right? Because you're at that point, you're the Bears, and the Bears did (laughs) – But instead, they said, we don't need to because we've got Hurts. I respect that decision, but now you got to see what you have. Part of me wonders if – this is what I wonder if is happening, Jason. I wonder if maybe Flacco's a little better right now, just a little, in practice. And these guys are like – we want to win, he's a little better, let's play him. And they're sacrificing the bigger picture because Sirianni may be insane, and thus they have to try to figure out what it is that they're doing because there is no excuse to have Jalen Hurts on your roster and not play him. It just it doesn't – it would make no sense, and that's why I think they will end up starting him.
1: I also want to take a second and remind everybody of the strangeness of last season. Like, I, I genuinely yes, I believe – this year is going to be such a different analysis of second-year players because with no normal offseason, no normal practices, no normal anything in a COVID world, we had so many players in the league last year as rookies that had the deck stacked against them. I I genuinely believe for most people we need to reevaluate the way we look at second-year players and expect a big leap from them, and Jalen Hurts could be in that category. I think that is a great point. It may
2: not just be second-year players, although it probably applies to them more than any. There are guys who just didn't show up in shape because of COVID. Maybe they didn't think they were going to play. I heard the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end Josh Allen, who was a pro bowler his first year, had a bad second-year go. You know what? I didn't think we were going to be playing, so I just didn't work as hard. Right. Then you might have had Cam Newton who had COVID and then tried to get over it. And then Jalen Hurts didn't get the offseason. So I think we're going to see a lot of dudes who have a much different year this year than they had last year. And you wonder why. And the answer will be COVID.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And if you're an Eagles fan, you have to believe that right now, because if you don't have an answer, at quarterback your franchise. If Jalen Hurts isn't the answer, then you're going to have to dip back in, start the whole process over, and you're looking at a three- to five-year transition period all over again. This is the maddening cycle so many teams continue to go through. We'll keep you updated on any action that happens from tonight's preseason action, but in the meantime, we're going to continue our tour across the NFL with another training camp visit. This time, we're headed out to Seattle to find out what's going on with the Seahawks. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain taking a much-needed and much-deserved little break around her birthday. I'm Jason Fitz, hanging out tonight with Matt Jones. But still working with a Bears fan. I don't know how that happened. It's amazing. It's alarming. It's incredible. I'm sure Sarah is very pleased. In the meantime, one of my favorite people to work with at the company constantly is Mina Kimes. We all know that Mina is the biggest the biggest Seahawks fan in the entire world. So now I'm going to get some Seahawks knowledge that I can drop on Mina, and we're going to do that by going camping the way only Spain and Fitz can. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining.
0: Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz.
1: Right, we're ready to get all sorts of Seahawks knowledge, and we're doing it. From Michael Sean Dugar, the Athletic Seahawks reporter, host of the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast, really appreciate your time, man. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I think everybody, when we think Seahawks right now, thinks about the relationship between Russ and the team. So where is that component of everything for
5: the Seahawks right now? Uh, I think, I mean, that's at the top of the list. I mean, look at why their offensive coordinator got fired, right? Brian Schottenheimer. He got fired because the coach didn't like how the offense looked. Not that it wasn't good. They were, like, top ten by, uh, you know, all metrics, DVOA being one of them, one of Mina Kimes' favorite uh, metrics there. Like, like mm-hmm. top ten, three years in a row. And Pete was like, nah, get out of here. So, it's like the way the offense has to look to please the head coach and the franchise quarterback who's really pissed about not winning multiple Super Bowls, like, that's a hard dance. You want to talk about the last dance with MJ. Like, the dance that Pete and, uh, that Pete and Russell Wilson caused the O.C. to uh, do here in Seattle. Like that's tough that's the number one storyline here, at least now that Jamal Adams' contract is out of the way.
2: Do people around Seattle or even the players does anybody care that Russell Wilson like sort of flirted with my Chicago Bears for a while like do they do, like do they do they resent it or are they just like well? at least he came back home and, and, you know, this relationship is still beautiful? Because I, I would think that there's at least would be a little, if not resentment, sort of worry, but I haven't sensed it. You're around there. Is there any?
5: Uh, I think there might have been initially, uh, but the players are are pretty binary in, in that regard. It's like, all right, Russ, ring, ring, ring. Hello, hey, it's Russell. Hey, it's me, player here. Hey, are you going to be our quarterback in 2021? Yes. All right, cool. See you at camp. Right? They I know listen, I love that. Up. By the
2: way, I love that conversation. I think you should make that a dramatic thing that you do. You <laughs> played both the player and Russell. You could have had a whole performance there.
5: Yeah, like I think it, it, it's pretty binary on those guys as far as – because, like, they know when Russ is here, he's locked in. Right? Regardless of what he says on the Dan Patrick show or on any radio station or whatever, when Russell Wilson shows up to camp locked in, no no awkwardness. Like, hey, I'm here at 5.45 a.m., getting my reps in with my receivers. I'm, I'm in every meeting. He's doing everything. He's quizzing his receivers. You know, every, like, Thursday, I think it is, you know, before game day, before game day, excuse me. Like, he he's ready to go. So, as much as guys are probably pissed or a little worried when they saw the trade stuff, especially, like, Schefter's tweet or after our story at the Athletic, yeah, my probably made some calls, but it probably went like that. Hey, are you going to be here in 2021? Yes? Cool. Let's go win a championship. Could care less about whether you and Pete Carroll or buddy-buddy.
1: We're talking to Michael Sean Dugar, the Athletic Seahawks reporter, also host of the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. Be sure to check that out. Uh, You mentioned uh, the Jamal Adams deal and the drama behind that. Well, that getting done leads to drama around Dwayne Brown's deal, the the, uh, obviously epic left tackle. Is any movement happening on that?
5: Not only do I not get a sense that any movement's happening, I haven't seen Dwayne in two days. (laughs) I mean, he was was out here uh, watching practice pretty consistently, uh, up until about Tuesday, I didn't see him Tuesday either. But some of my colleagues said he did. So as far, by my eyes, I haven't seen him Wednesday or a Thursday. So that's like you know after Jamal has time to deal. Do I do I know for sure those two things are related? No, but I do think it is very bad that while Pete Carroll would acknowledge like, hey, we're working on the contract things, we feel like it'll get done. But that's what we'll tell you guys and nothing more. We asked about Dwayne. He's like, ah, what contract thing? You know, Dwayne's we're resting Dwayne. He's old. He only want to take care of his body. It's a long season. No mention of a contract or anything, right, which is a little strange. It's a different, he's singing a different tune. To my knowledge, Dwayne Brown has been in walkthroughs, but like I said, I ain't seen him in two days. So I don't know if that's changed. If it has, like, did he just grow frustrated to see someone else get $72 million and he's still sitting on his contract? Like, You're right. That is the next biggest storyline because Russell Wilson said it himself. If we go to week one against the Colts and I don't have Dwayne Brown, we are in trouble. He didn't say it that explicitly, but that's what he meant. I know it is because he's right. Without Dwayne Brown in the lineup, the Seahawks, no chance of winning a championship, I think. Like he is very key to the puzzle in that regard.
2: The Seahawks play – it's not the the best division. I think it's certainly a contender in the NFL. Where are the Seahawks in your mind in the NFC West? If you're ranking them, are they, uh, do they, I assume they believe they can win the entire division, but where do you think they are?
5: Um. Yeah, no, they should. I mean, they just won the division, right? With largely the same team. Um. They brought, they're bringing back close to 19 or 20 of their starters from last season. I have to go look. I think they're, like, 1A and 1B with the Rams. The Rams' main problem was their quarterback stunk, um, and they fixed that. Like, I don't think Matthew Stafford is, like, the second coming of Jesus. Like, uh, some people in the media seem to think he is, even though he's made, like, one Pro Bowl since, I don't know, since Nam. So, I, I don't think he's all that. But he's better than Jared Goff. Even if that's a low bar, I think that's true. So, they're, like, 1A, 1B. It might just be which team is healthier by the end of the year that ends up winning. I think San Francisco is pretty distant third just because let's stay with the quarterback team here. Who the hell are they gonna have quarterback in their team by the playoffs, right? Like we have no idea are they gonna make the playoffs? I feel like Kyle Shanahan's had one good season there and then just a bunch of crappy ones. <laughs> like that's really kind of been his, his legacy there in San Francisco thus far. So I I don't know what to expect from them when I don't even know who's gonna be calling, you know, the plays by week five or whatever. And then I just haven't really trusted what Cliff and, and Kyler have done two years together in, in Arizona. I mean, you look at you look at what they've done offensively and you just go, oh, that's why a guy like Cliff got fired, you know, from where he was at. You know, he's got talent and it's not being maximized. So I think there's like three tiers within this fourteen team division. Rams and Seahawks are clearly at one, Niners up by themselves in another, and then Arizona bringing up the rear. We're talking to Michael Sean
1: Duke. Or you can check him out on the Athletics, the Seahawks reporter there. Also check out host of the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast, uh, so, uh, what position battles, like, we all focus so much on the quarterback at every team, but uh, when you look at the Seahawks, with as much as sure, you mentioned they're bringing back so many players, what position battles do you think are still really up for grabs and interesting in camp at
5: this point? Yeah, I get jealous of some of my colleagues. I haven't covered a position battle ever in the NFL. Or, excuse me, a quarterback battle ever uh, in the NFL. So, the guy here they had a guy named Russell Wilson, and they have not really given up uh, that job there. Uh, I think quarterback. Is probably the biggest one. Uh, they, they lost their number one guy in Shaquille Griffin. He signed to go play with Jacksonville Jaguars. Got the bag, a bigger bag than Seattle was willing to give him here. He was there. He was a four-year starter here. Um, and right now, that job is being occupied by Akello Witherspoon, former left cornerback and right cornerback for the 49ers, who was like marred by inconsistency and injuries in his four-year career. I mean, like he got benched like two or three times. He played with a bunch of injuries. Then at some point, he played like a Star for stretches, and it just wasn't – he didn't put it all together. And when you're going to be someone's number one corner, consistency is the name of the game. That's what these guys had with Richard Sherman for so many years. Um, so that's probably the most important uh, position battle right now because, I mean, look in the playoffs every year. There's always a big play in the passing game, it feels like, whether it's at the end of the half or, like, the end of the game, uh, whether it's a bomb or a first down given up, there's always just a play. You can point to that corner and be like, if you made that play, we'd be going to the dance. Right. If you caught that interception, we'd be going to the dance. If you didn't get that defensive pass interference, we'd be going to the dance. So, like, a game-changing defensive back is, is mandatory um, in, in today's NFL. They have two of them at safety, and Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, two Pro Bowl safeties who are still in their, like, relative primes. But the outside cornerback spot, specifically on the left side, uh, that's probably the biggest one that's still unsettled, which that's not a position you want unsettled on August 19th.
1: Well, it's way too early to get a prediction, I know, but that's what we're doing anyway. And uh, Sarah's offering a glorious prize that she's going to take care of because I'm not responsible uh, to whoever's closest (laughs) to the actual final record. So give us what you got. Where do you think the Seahawks finish this season?
5: Uh, I've been struggling with predictions because it's 17 games now. Like, I'm so used to being like, oh, 11-5 or this team's eight 8-8 um i I like predicted the team would go four and 13 the other day and it felt so weird like it the math just didn't (laughs) add up but i'm gonna go with 11 they went they went 12 and four last year i'm gonna go 11 and six that's i i I think that that gets it done uh that probably that probably wins division i'm not sure depends on what the rams do like i said i'll go 11 and six i think that's the over in vegas for all my gambling addicts right there so uh take the over if you're relying on me for your betting uh Uh,
1: preferences. I feel like everybody's taking the over on their team so far. It's going to be a heck of a year, man. We appreciate your time. Michael, Sean Dugar, check him out on The Athletic, obviously covering the Seahawks there. Also, be sure to check out the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. Really appreciate your expertise. Thanks for the time, bud. Oh, thanks for having me. Great stuff from him as we break down all of the camps you need to know. In the meantime, there's something you need to know about ice cream and pineapples. We will tell you next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at SiriusXM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz hanging out with Matt Jones. Not to be confused with Mac Jones, who's currently playing... For the New England Patriots, ESPN radio presented by Progressive Insurance, saving you bundle. Auto home, motorcycle insurance, all of it. Visit progressive dot com. Can I make Again, a prediction? Visit progressive.com. Yes.
2: Sorry about progressive. I want to make sure everybody saves their bundles. I didn't mean to get in the way of that. But the Eagles are gonna stink. I mean, they're down nineteen to <laughs> nothing right now. Like they are awful. And like they just keep showing their new coaches. And each of them, I'm sure they're wonderful people, but they still have to work for that head coach. The Eagles are going to be awful. So I don't know what the over-under is on the Eagles, but I will put everything I can find right now, including, you know, including this Coke Zero, I will put it all on the under. The Eagles are going to stink. And those of you in Philadelphia, I'm sorry to tell you that because you all are going to have a painful year because the Eagles are awful.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you just said. And and in fact I think the East overall is going to be improved other than Philly. If we just forget Philly in this equation, uh, I think Dallas has a chance to be better, Washington football team has a chance to be better and the Giants are going to be okay, which Is there a in way the I can bet better?
2: Is there a way I can bet on worst team in the NFC? Is that is that uh, a thing that people be. can because the worst team in football is going to be the Texans. But I think the Eagles might be second. I'm just going on record. Just so I'm throwing that out there.
1: Well, no Jalen Hurts tonight. uh, Pulled due to an illness just before the game. uh, But that means that we've seen enough of Joe Flacco to realize that if things go off the rails, they can just play Joe Flacco and it will be the equivalent of tanking. Like it it will help them get the second overall pick.
2: The defense. I mean, Cam Newton and Matt Jones are just like, here's how bad they are. Cam Newton's killing them throwing, and Mac Jones is killing them running. Like, there's no reason that should happen, <laughs> but that is what is happening. That's how bad the Eagles are. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's amazing. He's Matt Jones, by the way. I, like, So how, how difficult is this getting, by the way, as Mac Jones becomes super famous and it. I'm working with the slightly less famous Matt Jones?
2: First of all, I hate it. And there's been many Matt Joneses. The problem is there's already been like 10 of them in sports. You had the Matt Jones Arkansas quarterback, you remember, that was also the first-round right. pick for the Jags. Florida had a running back named Matt Jones. West Virginia had an offensive lineman named Matt Jones. Duke had a basketball player named Matt Jones. There's an Australian golfer named Matt Jones. And now you get Mac, and his name is not even Matt. But if you were to go on Twitter right now, everybody calls him Matt because who's name Mac nowadays. And so it ends up being the case that, like, the, good, the only good thing is I am hard to find on Google because there are so many Matt Joneses that it ends up working out.
3: There's also an actor named Matt guys, Jones. Who? Yeah, that's right. I Badger believe. is named Matt Jones. Yeah. There's like
2: there's a, I think a congressional, re- a state representative in Colorado who's always saying insane stuff. His name's Matt Jones. So it just it continues to come up.
1: That is that's remarkable. By the way, you can follow this Matt Jones with at ky sports radio. That's your way to get out there and send him all of the gifs that you can possibly find of Matt Jones, the quarterback. Six and a, sure and a half that wins,
2: a Philadelphia play. over under. Put it all on the under. I'm giving you. The Matt Jones lock of the millennium. Take the under six and a half for Philadelphia. If they win seven games, then I am a
1: giraffe. There, There is a – that is a – that's a, that's a delightful image and will always make me think of Zach Galifianakis in the campaign uh, so or in The Hangover. A lot of giraffe references with Zach Galifianakis for some reason. By the way, uh, Matt Jones said that he would bet everything around him, which for anybody that's never seen his background is a lot of books. I mean, a lot of books. So it would do me no good to win this bet because I, don't, I would never have time to read all of those. So, you know, unless you gave me all of them as books on tape, probably not a great chance that I'm actually getting through the number of novels and books and and textbooks and smart things that are behind Matt Jones.
2: A lot of books. I like to read. It's a good way to spend your uh, to spend your life. I've written a book, which was fun, and now I'm teaching. You know, I'm teaching this fall at Georgetown College here in Kentucky, sports law. So uh, for those of you, I don't know why I'm telling everybody this, because unless you're enrolled at Georgetown College, you're not going to be able to hear it. But nevertheless, I'm looking forward to my first year as a professor uh, in addition to doing ESPN radio.
1: I did not know that there was a Georgetown College, and it only makes me laugh because when I moved to Tennessee, I didn't know there was a Paris, Tennessee. So when people are like, have you ever been to Paris? And I'm like, no, I've never been to Paris. What if I told you in Kentucky there's –
2: there's a town called Versailles, which we pronounce, Vers- pronounce Versailles.
1: That is, that is amazing. Uh, that is, that is incredible. Speaking of incredible, Matt how are you going to just Jason skip Fitz, over Painting Versailles?
2: You're just going to skip over Versailles? Like that is one. I think that's one of the weirder things we have in this state, and you're just skipping over Versailles.
1: Uh, I mean, Versailles is. It, it doesn't surprise me. So I lived. I lived in Nashville for you know a lot of years. And there was a road that I never understood. Like, I never knew what it was called, but it, it's Demumbrium. And so I didn't know for a very long time because it looks like Demon Bruin or whatever, but it, they say it's so funny that I had no idea. And one day somebody was like, no, that's Demumbrium. And I, I lived there for years before I figured that out. Like, the, the South is weird with our pronunciations, Matt. Like, that's just part of Versailles. Does anyone come in at some point, like, and say, hey, guys, maybe we make it Versailles? No, like, here's what's happen? even
2: crazier. And I everybody should look this up when they're done driving across town. Versailles has an actual castle in it. Like, not kind of a castle, a real castle. Like if you look it up, like you can it's a bed and breakfast. You can go stay in it. It's a castle. And it is not in Versailles. It is in Versailles, Kentucky. Actually, uh Carson Wentz got engaged at the castle in Versailles. Speaking of Eagles.
1: That is that's a that's its own whole thing. If we don't do a show together sometime at the castle in Versailles, I quit life. Oh, I've uh, been there many also, times. Not the only thing you've taught me today, as you've also taught me the meaning of pineapples on a porch. And I did not know this, but uh, Matt Jones came in today. We were talking about Neapolitan ice cream, and I think we can all agree that chocolate's the worst flavor. Strawberry's the best, and that you go worst to best when you eat it. Let's not be savages. But in the process of talking about food, you mentioned trivia about pineapples that I had no idea. So there's this neighborhood in Louisville
2: called Norton Commons. It looks like, have you seen the Truman Show? Have you seen the Truman Show?
1: Yes. Yeah. The Truman
2: you know how those? it looks like it's a TV set and it's it's fake looking. There's a neighborhood in here in Louisville that looks like that, and I got lost in it, and I was like, where am I? Like, why am I in the Truman Show? And we were talking about it, and so we started the conversation, and then somebody t- told me that everybody in Norton Common were swingers, which I thought was kind of a strange thing in Norton Commons. And then somebody noted, that, and I had no idea about this, that across America it is known that if you are a swinger, you should put a pineapple on your porch, and that signals to people that swingers live here. I had no idea. I didn't know that was a thing. All of a sudden, people were writing in and going, Yeah, that's a thing. How'd you not know that, Matt? And apparently, that's like uh, the, the pineapple is the universal, like, sort of symbol for swingers. And I had no clue. What if you just like a tiki bar? Like, I got tiki bar decorations. I put a
1: pineapple out on the Well, somebody porch. wrote like,
2: me and said that they had given their grandparents a pineapple and put it on their porch, and they felt really bad because it's been up there, and, like, people would think grandma and grandpa,
1: you know. And then you said there's something in the grocery store? Like, people do something with the pineapple? In the grocery
2: store, if you see somebody and you want to see if they're like you in the
1: swinging community, you take a pineapple and flip it upside down. See, these rules make me wonder if there's like a, a swingers class you go through when you're like, hey, you know, I met all other swingers and they talk about the pineapple I think it's one of these trick, things like, that
2: if you don't know, they're not interested in you being a, participating. You know what I mean? So, like, unfortunately, now I'm saying it on national radio, but I'll never look at a pineapple the same again. I just always thought it was something you ate. And now I've learned more.
1: You say that. All I think is that every single time that I'm in a grocery store now, I'm going to turn a pineapple upside down just to see, like, if I see somebody I know, I'm going to turn the pineapple upside down because it will answer a lot of questions. We've all got that friend that you wonder. Now we'll know. <laughs> do, I'll, just, I'll we? flip the pineapple, well, hey, and listen. we'll suddenly find out.
3: Whatever, oh, man.
1: It's I'm It's fun look. working with you. I'm not going to get you a pineapple. <laughs> Freddie and Fitzsimmons are next. They're not swingers. They're coming up next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.